Welcome to DBE Rocks live from training camp on WDBE Pittsburgh, presented by FedEx, where now meets next. Also brought to you by LeeCom, Lake Erie College of Osteopathic Medicine with campuses in Erie, Greensburg, Elmira, New York, and Bradenton, Florida. By Bud Light, America's favorite light lager. By Excella Health, expert care here. By your neighborhood Ford store. And by Ireland Contracting, Pittsburgh's number one home exterior expert. Call 1-800-NEW-ROOF or visit IrelandContracting.com. And now, here's your hosts, Bob Labriola and Mike Prezuda. Good evening. If we are coming at you at this time of the evening, it must be training camp. Mike Prasuda from the DVE Morning Show, along with Bob Labriola, the esteemed editor of Steelers Digest and Steelers.com. We are two-thirds of the Steelers Radio Network pregame show, and we are here tonight at the Rivers Casino welcoming back training camp 2021. Labs, it's not St. Vincent College. It's not Westmoreland County, but uh, I am enjoying uh, what we have seen, particularly since July 28th when the pads came on. I am enjoying it thoroughly. Uh, yeah, I'm enjoying all of that, and this is a pretty nice joint that we're in, too, uh, doing this show. I really like this, uh, the atmosphere here in the sports book at uh, Rivers Casino. And, um, yeah, I, I, you know, as I mentioned on the morning show today, during an appearance, I did say that I do miss the, um, you know, the, the contained uh, situation environment that uh, St. Vincent College provides. But there are some advantages to being here uh, in Pittsburgh. One of them is the, the setup that allows us to watch practice in something of a controlled uh, environment, climate, and uh, with binoculars uh, at a higher uh, perch, uh, we, we can actually see what's going on. And there has been a lot going on. Uh, we are here at the Rivers Casino until 9 o'clock tonight behind us. The gaming tables in front of us, the sports book, the TVs have uh, all the events on that you'd want to see. And uh, Bobby, since uh, we are here at the Rivers Casino, and uh, we are going to be here uh, not just tonight, but a week from tonight and then two weeks from tomorrow. Uh, it's Monday, Monday, Tuesday for these DVE training camp specials in honor of uh, our hosts, the Rivers Casino. I've become a big Philadelphia Phillies fan tonight. We're playing the Nationals, and uh, let's go Phils. Well, I mean, you know, the way you explained it to me, it certainly makes sense, but uh, it is Major League Baseball, of which I know nothing, so... I will just defer to your expertise and hope that your expertise uh, comes home tonight. Got a big show uh, planned for you tonight. Of course, it's Hall of Fame week, and uh, the Hall of Fame and the Steelers are kind of synonymous. But this year, uh, because of what happened last year with COVID and the way things worked out, this is, would you say, Steeler Palooza? This is going to be unprecedented and maybe never duplicated. Five Steelers uh, going yeah, in. All of, you yeah. know, within a, a weekend's time. I uh, want to get to that a little bit later. Uh, we're going to talk with uh, Rick Goslin, formerly of the Dallas Morning News. Now he works for uh, the Talk of Fame Network slash SI.com. Rick has been a member of the Hall of Fame's Board of Selectors for a lot of years. and uh, Oh, he's the man. He, he's pretty he's much the, the yes. guy, yeah. Yes. Uh, if you're familiar with our work on the DVE Morning Show, you know Rick's voice and you know Rick's personality. We're going to talk to Jim Wexel from SteelCityInsiders.com. Uh, Jim, with a recent book about Troy Polamalu. Uh, have you read it? Yes. Yes, and um, it was very enjoyable. Actually, I, you edited it, didn't you? No, I did not. Oh, you didn't? No, I did not. I, I don't want to take any credit for 
um, that work. Uh, let me just say that uh, extremely well-researched, lot of detail, and I personally, I found the way that Jim presented it was very enjoyable and easy to read. And so I highly recommend it to anyone who is interested in Troy or uh, interested in learning about one of the greatest players in franchise history. Yeah, I, I would agree with uh, all points there. Uh, Jim's going to join us at around 740. And then in the second hour, uh, we have the interview with uh, none other than Troy Polamalu. That was uh, conducted with the DVE Morning Show about uh, a week and a half ago. Uh, it's a really good interview. Even though I was not participating, I was actually on vacation. So who did the interview then? Well, the, you know, the, the, the people I work with in the morning managed not to drop the ball without <laughs> me there. So uh, That's a very rare occurrence. You're going to want to stick this. around for that. But, uh, Labs, let's start with uh, what went on today in Heinz Field. And uh, some people reacting uh, as uh, if Mike Tomlin's revelation that Safety Terrell Edmonds had shoulder surgery in the offseason. Uh, that is being perceived as a newsworthy event. Full disclosure here, when a football season ends, I expect X number of people to have surgeries, and I, I don't really panic about them. Uh, I think Terrell Edmonds, uh, they're you know easing him into it as they are a, a lot of people. Uh, it didn't really resonate with me as a big deal. Were, were you aware of that, and uh, do you think it means anything? I was not aware of it, and I agree with you that you know, the, the medical procedures that follow just about any NFL season for every team in the league are numerous, uh, and they run the gamut of different things. Um, you know, the, the, the thing about uh, Terrell Edmonds' surgery, my recollection of the exchange today uh, during Mike Tomlin's post-practice uh, press briefing had to do with uh, Terrell Edmonds' participation in some of the hitting drills and as you mentioned it's a shoulder thing um and so you know it's natural that uh the the team is not really interested in having him do a lot of needless hitting in uh training camp so i don't know that it is going to be a big deal i don't know that it's not going to be a big deal uh, but as you mentioned it's kind of a business as usual in terms of the way the NFL operates with their players at the end of a season, there are a lot of uh, a lot of medical procedures that get done uh, after the season, uh, you know, in the short aftermath after a season. And so, until it becomes a big deal, uh, I'm not going to treat it as one or perceive it as one. But if we get into the regular season and we see some issues with Terrell Edmonds with regards to how he is able to use his shoulder, his body uh, in, in a physical, in the, in the physical elements of his position, well, then maybe we can revisit this at that time. Yeah, and particularly in a camp environment when everybody is looking for something other than he caught it, he dropped it, he had a tackle, he missed the tackle. He missed the block. Yeah, uh, you know, perceived this tight end missed news, the block. and I'm making that quotation marks gesture around the word news uh maybe it is a revelation i don't think it's anything that affects september 12th against buffalo and maybe as, as mike tomino almost always points out the opportunity for others to get significant reps in edmund's absence particularly labs at a position where the depth is uh well i'll, I'll borrow the phrase from kevin colbert it's not like 
we don't have depth. We just have unproven abilities, <laughs> which is pretty much the definition of not having depth. But well, right. They got, they got some guys that need to work is the point I'm making. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the thing about, you know, Terrell Edmonds and how you're trying to assess, you know, the situation, um, you know, someone told me a long time ago that, you know, we're in the month of August and just started the month of August. And when you're talking about an NFL team and you're talking about the starting players on an NFL team, any news that comes out about starting players on an NFL team in August is bad. There's, no, For example, uh, T.J. Watt has not taken part in a lot of the, the team drills, uh, put on pads and yeah. dealt with a lot of that stuff. Um, is there really anything that we need to see from T.J. Watt in August, the first week of August, to indicate that, gee, I don't know, he can play the position or <laughs> he belongs in the league or, you know, he's a legitimate uh, pro bowl, all pro candidate each year? Uh, I don't think so. And, um, you know, it's, again, I, I think that's part of what you just mentioned in terms of uh, the media looking for things to write about, talk about, report about. And it's also a part of, and hey, the fans' interest. And you, you got to love the fans' interest. I mean, if you're in this business, if you uh, work for an NFL team or own an NFL team, you want your fans to be obsessive about their team, about the sport and all that kind of stuff. But that doesn't mean that it's necessary necessarily important or relevant. And so that's where you and I come in and tell the people what they should really worry about or what they should just kind of uh, put on the back burner and wait to see how things develop. That's why we are here at the Rivers Casino. And, uh, along We're those, here for you. Along those people. same lines, uh, you know, the offensive line, everybody's wondering what that's going to look like. And um, Mike Tomlin thought it was better today, uh, you know, I'll buy that it was better. I still don't think it was acceptable. But Zach Banner played a few snaps of 11 on 11. First time we've seen that. Uh, they got J.C. Hassenauer Emphasis back. Emphasis on few. Yeah, maybe five, maybe. Uh, J.C. Hassenauer returned after a fairly uh, extended absence. He had not performed in pads at Heinz Field yet. Uh, Trey Turner and B.J. Finney had missed Saturday. They were both back. Still waiting on uh, Chukwuma Korfor. Still waiting on Kevin Dotson. The line looks pretty bad right now, but uh, as our old buddy Tom Donahoe used to say, we don't play the Buffalo Sabres tomorrow. That game is on September the 12th. Sabres. Uh, excuse me, Bills. Don't make me reach over yeah. here. And don't cross-check me. <laughs> uh, at what point do you want to see that five get together, the projected five, and I'm going to count Kendrick Green, the third-round pick out of Illinois, as one of the five. At what point do they need to get together, and how much time will they need to be relatively ready for the Bills? Well, I can't answer the how much time they will need. I, I really can't. I, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I don't know the answer to that question. I, I will admit to this, as you know, knowing me, uh, I live in my fears. And so the, the fact that the first goal line drill of this summer was conducted without 60% of what your perceived starting offensive line is going to be uh, did not – yeah, it was not a heartening uh, development for me. Well, that was today in the first rep. Najee Harris, touchdown, Alabama. <laughs> Roll tide, crank up the Leonard Skinner. Well, you know, I mean, but 
Um, good. But, you know, <laughs> no. But, good. But what I've seen is. Calm down, Bobby. But what I've seen, though, is, is you know, f- from the running game, um, you know, it, it's, it's a hit or miss thing. You know, sometimes, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes the line does not allow any leakage. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes the tight ends, you know, control the, the perimeter or the, uh, the edges. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes the wide receivers uh, make the blocks necessary at the perimeter, and sometimes they don't. I mean, you can't have sometimes. Sometimes gets coaches fired. Sometimes um, misses the playoffs, uh, makes the team miss the playoffs. Sometimes, you know, isn't good enough. And so, you know, if you're asking me, you know, I would like to see things be operating a little bit more on all cylinders. I would like to see things um, in terms of the personnel on the field reflecting the personnel you want to see on the field once these games start counting in the standings. However, I also understand that, you know, what you want isn't necessarily what's necessary. And so, um, you know, I'm trying to talk myself down off the ledge a little bit. and uh, But I do think that the offensive line situation uh, bears um, scrutiny. Scrutiny, yes. And continued scrutiny, consistent scrutiny. And let's see how it turns out. Um, you know, I'm not ready to say that it can't work, but I'm also, as Mike Tomlin would say, I'm not going to seek comfort and believe that everything's going to be okay. So, uh, again, if you want to worry about something, Steelers fans, that's a good place to start. Uh, but I don't know that it's going to be a problem a month from now. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of thinking it through the same way you are, and that's why I thought today, even though Banner only played, I think, five snaps of 11 on 11, to me, that was the takeaway from today. Hey, the guy they want to play right tackle has actually begun to play. He hasn't played it much, but he's on the road back. And talk about your off-season surgeries. Well, his was in-season last year. Uh, a much bigger deal, much more severe. I'd like to see him starting to get back up to speed. I'd like to see a core four and Dotson get back in. And we've seen those guys put the pads on. They had them on today. They had their helmets on. They're doing the individual stuff. So that tells us they're not far away, but they're not there yet. Um, that that's going to be a big deal. Uh, I want to see if a core four is a more natural left tackle, as Kevin Colbert said uh, they believe he is, and uh, had the competition with Banner last year been at left tackle. Kevin Colbert, the GM, thought a core four would win it. Uh, they don't have to be ready Thursday, which I don't think they're going to be, and that might look kind of ugly, and I think a lot of Steelers fans are going to panic when they see the offensive line and line up at the Duquesne Bridge. But <laughs> I'd, I'd like to see it settle down sooner rather than later. Yes, and, you know, I'd like to see at least when in, in camp uh, put some of these guys that you're going to uh, anticipate playing in the regular season come off the ball a little bit and move some people off the line of scrimmage. We did not see that at all last season, not at all, and that's something that you cannot win games consistently without having. We've got a lot more coming up tonight, so keep it here. Bob Labriola and uh, me, Mike Pursuta, we're going to be here at the Rivers Casino until 9 o'clock tonight. When we come back, we're going to be joined by uh, the best spokesman that uh, the Pro Football Hall of Fame has in terms of the guys who were on the Hall of Fame's board of selectors, my buddy Rick Goslin from Dallas. Uh, with Bob Labriola, I'm Mike Pursuta. You're listening to DVE's training camp special right here on 
your Pittsburgh Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE. Back to DVE Rocks live from training camp presented by FedEx and brought to you in part by Lecom, Bud Light, Excella Health, Ford, and Ireland Contracting on 102.5 DVE. Welcome back to Rivers Casino. Mike Pursuta along with Bob Labriola. We're here with you until 9 o'clock tonight. Uh, time to remind everyone that for the most complete selection of Steelers merchandise from official sideline gear and authentic memorabilia to our extensive selection of jerseys and terrible towels, visit one of the official Steelers Pro Shop stores located at Heinz Field, Grove City Premium Outlets, or Tanger Outlets. Or you can visit us online at shop.steelers.com for all your Steelers merchandise needs directly from the team. Time now to welcome a familiar voice to the program. He's a guy that used to own NFL draft coverage for the Dallas Morning News, and now he's the guy, well, when you want to find out what's going on with the Hall of Fame, you dial up Rick Goslin. Rick, appreciate the time tonight. Uh, welcome to the show. Always a pleasure to be on with my good friends in the great city of Pittsburgh. Rick, uh, you've become pretty recognizable on our programs over the years, and I appreciate that. And I got to offer you not only my thanks, but congratulations because you've got the Hall of Fame to the point where Bill Cower, Alan Fanica, <laughs> Troy Polamalu, Donnie Shell, and Bill Nunn are all going in in one weekend. You guys finally got it right. <laughs> How many more Steelers are out there? Elsie <laughs> Greenwood, Andy Russell, who else? Who else we put in? Heinz Ward. On the door Heinz Ward. Heinz Ward. That's that's you got three more. Yeah. Maybe next year we can get that uh, rectified. <laughs> but uh, one day, one day you'll catch up with the Raiders. <laughs> uh, actually, that is not an accurate statement because um, uh, many Steelers fans are all over me about uh, who has more, who has fewer, blah blah blah. And according to the uh, Hall of Fame website. The Steelers are now at 26, the Bears have 30, and the Packers have 27. So the Raiders are in the dust. Not the 70 Raiders. 70 Raiders have 12, and the 70 uh, See, now you're, now, now you're limiting it to different eras. I'm just talking about in the history of the league. As Dan Rooney always said, some of you people only believe that this sport was invented in 1970. A lot of them live in Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do. Yes, they do. But if, they had, if, if, the, if the Raiders had 12 Hall of Famers in the 70s and two Hall of Fame coaches, why didn't they win the four Super Bowls? Kept running into Pittsburgh, I think. With, with a less talented Pittsburgh team with only 10 <laughs> Hall of Famers and one Hall of Fame coach. <laughs> great, great, one of the greatest overachievers in history, the 70 Steelers. Yeah. Uh, Goose, one of the guys going in, Bill Nunn, uh, a lot of us, Bob and I got to know him pretty well over his years here, and we're thrilled for him. He's our hero because, as Labs pointed out a long time ago, he was a sports writer who actually made NFL coaches listen to him. You kind of follow him. <laughs> You kind of fall into the same category, but uh, appreciating the draft as you did for so long and the uh, the kind of the art of scouting, uh, are, are you as happy as we are that Bill Nunn's finally getting his just due? Yeah, I think there were two guys um, back then that kicked the door open for the HBCU, and the other was Lloyd Wells in Kansas City in the 60s. Now, Nunn has the four, the four Super Bowl championships that uh, his players delivered, 
Lloyd Wells in Kansas City at three. I, I think uh, I, if Lloyd Wells got in at some point in the next two, three, four years, I'd be happy about that too because those are the two guys that kicked open the door for, for the HBCU and the stuff that, that none did for Pittsburgh and getting those players in the later rounds of the drafts. That's, you know, anybody can draft in the first two, three rounds of the draft. It's, it's the rounds four and on that make good drafts great. And Bill Nunn was one of the reasons that they were drafting great in the later rounds. You know, I love Bill Nunn, and I, I can't, I can't, I, honestly, I don't know that I'm happier about anyone from the Steelers getting into the Hall of Fame, Bill Nunn, except for maybe Dan Rooney. And that brings me to this right. this point is that, you know, Bill Nunn's success also, I think, reflects the greatness uh, of Dan Rooney uh, in what he saw, you know, his his vision for this kind of thing, and also his willingness to, you know, I won't say turn it over to Nunn, but also uh, it's it's to give him the kind of voice that he had and pair him with Chuck Knoll, who also, you know, was of the same mindset in terms of, you know, what Noel once said to Nunn, uh, who was recruited at one point uh, by the Harlem Globetrotters. He was that good of a basketball player. He said to Nunn, you know what athletes look like. Bring me the athletes. We'll teach them how to play. And that that attitude, that philosophy, you know, came together because of the vision of those three guys. And really, to me, that was the foundation of everything that happened with the Steelers in the 1970s in terms of, you know, what you were talking about in terms of the H- HBCUs and the talent that the Steelers mined from those colleges. Yeah, I was I was delighted when the Hall announced they were going to have a contributors category because there was no room for the guys who find the players. The Hall of Fame was all about players, head coaches, and owners. The contributors category opened the door, and I think, especially in the salary cap world, the most important guy in the building is the guy who finds the players. And Bill Nunn, uh, again, was what he did with the HBCUs. Uh, he's he's a Hall of Fame talent, as far as a, a talent evaluator, and he needed a place. He needed a doorway to enter, and the contributor category opened that door. For the general managers, Ron Wolf and, and Bill Polian and Bobby Bethard, and, and the talent scouts like Bill Nunn. And, I, again, I think Lloyd Wells will be the next guy to probably go in. But they needed a place. They belong in the Hall of Fame. If you find the players, you belong in the Hall of Fame. Bill Nunn absolutely belonged in the Hall of Fame for the impact he had on the 1970 Steelers. Yeah, and I agree with you a 1,000%. And let me just add this, you know, based on what Mike was talking about and Bill Nunn's career uh, as a sports writer, um, the players that Bill Nunn um, referred to the NFL before he worked for the Steelers. I mean, I had the the great fortune, you know, one of Bill Nunn's daughters had kept a lot of his writings, you know, his columns and stuff when he was the sports editor of the Pittsburgh Courier. And I had all of the programs for the – uh, black college all-star team that Bill Nunn would pick and they had a big banquet yeah. in Pittsburgh for that and the names you know Deacon Jones and uh, Buck Buchanan and you know a lot of these guys that had nothing to do with the Pittsburgh Steelers were still Bill Nunn guys Roosevelt Brown I mean with the New York football giants this that that's to me 
the thing that really separates Bill Nunn uh, from a lot of the other talent evaluators, and I don't mean to disparage any of them. I'm just really trying to talk about Bill Nunn's impact and his historical significance in the NFL. He was he was leading players into the NFL long before he worked for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and his ability to identify these guys and in a lot of cases place them properly with teams um, that would nurture them and develop them, you know, I, I think makes Bill Nunn not only a hugely significant part of the Pittsburgh Steelers' history, but also NFL history. Yeah, I mean, his, he, he put these players on the map. You know, back in the, in the 60s, the NFL scouting and drafting was basically the clubs grabbed a copy of Street and Smith, look at the All-American team, that's how they were drafting teams. Bill Nunn, with his All-American team, he brought these names out front. He put these names in front of NFL teams. The Buck Buchanan, who was the first overall pick of draft, first African-American player to go first overall. Guys like Lombardi. Uh, of course, John Stallworth and, and Mel Blanc, the guys that you guys are, are, are well aware of. He put the names on the front burner. And then it was up to teams to, to take them. But he, was, he, he gave them justification as quality players by putting them on his All-America team. And that was a wide, widely respected team, as you guys both know. Goose, another guy that you are uh, well familiar with before you became uh, a big shot in Dallas, you worked in Kansas City. And uh, there was a guy named Cower who was an assistant coach for Marty Schottenheimer. Do I recall years ago you telling me, yeah, I knew Bill Cower was going to the Hall of Fame first time I laid eyes on him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bill was a. Uh... Well, I, I, my my last year in Kansas City was 89, which was Marty Schottenheimer's first year. And he brought in Tony Dungy and Bill Cower and Bruce Arians was on that staff. And Herman Edwards was a scout uh, that year for the team. There, there was a lot of great football knowledge knocking around that building. But that was Bill's first year as a defensive coordinator. And he was running Marty's scheme. And, of course, you got some great players. You got uh, Derek Thomas and Neil Smith. And they they really got after the passer, that 3-4 scheme. And, and Bill was the perfect fit because of that 3-4 scheme. And uh, he achieved his greatness as head coach in Pittsburgh, obviously. But I think he earned his coaching spurs in Kansas City with uh, with Marty Schottenheimer. And he gave himself that chance. He was a brilliant defensive mind. And not only that, but... He- what I think I appreciate about Bill Cowher more than anything else, and you were around the NFL at this time. You, you know, the Steelers were a big deal in the 1970s, obviously. Really? What Chuck Knoll did was <laughs> remarkable. But by the time Chuck Knoll's career was ending, it, it was kind of running on fumes. And there weren't the throngs of people that go to the road games now. And there wasn't this Steeler Nation thing. There weren't that many people going to the home games there for a little while. Bill Cower reawoke Steeler Nation and got them to compete for the Super Bowl again. He only won one, and I, you know I think winning one's a huge deal. People around here will tell you he should have won more than one, but yeah, it it was re-energized, jump-started with Cower power his rookie year in '92 when he had them contending after they hadn't for a while and. I think Steeler Nation owes him a debt of gratitude for that because, uh, you know, he he got it going again, and then Mike Tomlin took the baton from Bill Cowher. And you've been to these games where, you know, the Steelers are playing somewhere not in Pittsburgh, and they take the stadium over. That that stuff wasn't happening in 1991. 
Yeah, Bill Cowher reminded the Steelers faithful that they had terrible towels in their closets. And all of a sudden they came out again. After a, a, a slow decade, they came out again. And I, 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 again, I saw it here in Dallas. Steelers come in here in Dallas. This is the Dallas Cowboys, and the Steelers own the building. Everywhere the Steelers played. I know in, in, the, in, the, in the Super Bowl in Arizona, the, the first Cowboys Super Bowl, Arizona was a, a divisional rival of the Cowboys, and the Cowboys always had three-quarters of the stands when they played the Cardinals. They were shocked at that Super Bowl when the majority of the crowd was for Pittsburgh because they expected a very friendly Dallas crowd uh, in that stadium. And instead, they got the Steelers. And if, uh, well, if, if, if it wasn't for the first quarter, Tower probably would have won a Super Bowl that year too. Yeah, or Neil O'Donnell. But, you know, hey, we digress. <laughs> um, but, yeah, what, what I believe Bill Cowers, um, beyond the Super Bowl, um, his, his seriously significant contribution to the franchise was, you know, there were a lot of home playoff games under Coward, a lot of home playoff games. Right. And, you know, those really energized the town. And, um, you know, the Steelers were not successful in AFC championships at games at home under Cower. But the fact that, you know, you can look at his one and four record in AFC championship games at home and criticize it. But <laughs> he played five AFC championship games at home, yeah. which is a huge number. And um, and those were events starting, I don't know, oh, Wednesday or Thursday that week. Right. Oh, that, I mean, no, those were events right. starting with the, the, the last week or two of the regular season. I mean, uh, and so, you know, that kind of electricity that was generated by those teams that he coached, uh, again, it, it, I won't say that, you know, he belongs in the same uh, level as Chuck Knoll, who, you know, I would say uh, raised the dead which he did, but, I mean, Bill Cower <laughs> kind of really re-energized this town. Got it out uh, of a coma, maybe. Yes, uh, definitely, and, uh, and and I don't, that, that should not be discounted or, um, you know, glossed over. I mean, that to me is a very, very significant uh, part of Steelers history and really kind of set the tone and paved the way for what it is now, and he deserves a lot of credit for that. And also, let me just say this: his the job that he did in 2005 was spectacular. Uh, he only won one Super Bowl, if you want to look at it that way. But the one that he won really had his fingerprints all over it. He um, did a really good job of, like, you know, being the puppet master, working the team, uh, and those kind of things. And even through through the playoffs, uh, all those road games, becoming the first sixth seed to do what they did, beating the top three seeds in the AFC and then the number one seed in the NFC to win that Super Bowl. Um, you know, the, a lot of that had to do with Bill Cower, how he uh, orchestrated that team, and also how he handled the 2003 team, in my opinion, which is the most, the last Steelers team to finish below 500 in the regular season. He won 62% of his career games, and he was taken – uh, uh, the club to, to AFC title games with Neil O'Donnell and Cordell Stewart as his quarterback. And he's lining up against Tom Brady. Quarterback, look at no. Does no one force through polls without Bradshaw? All these Hall of Fame coaches are tied to a single uh, a single quarterback. 
And until Coward got that quarterback, he hadn't won a Super Bowl. But to get to five title games with the quarterback he had is a remarkable feat. And, and his, his mentor, Marty Schottenheimer, the same thing. He had he had two top-seeded teams in the AFC in the 90s with Steve Bono and Elvis Gerbeck as a quarterback. A great coach can win without the great quarterback. And Coward proved that until he got Roethlisberger. Then he became a big winner. And if he stuck around longer, he would have won more with Roethlisberger. Now, that's great stuff, Rick. Uh, appreciate the time. Uh, you're going to be in Canton. I understand I might not see you unless we run into each other at the Indians game uh, Friday well, Michigan night. Michigan State, but, uh, um, you know, alumni function. Well, his beloved Detroit Tigers are playing in uh, in Cleveland, oh, okay. so Rick's going to be at that. Goose, great catching up. Hey, I'll be the guy wearing the green at the Cleveland game. <laughs> that, that, that'll make two of us. Goose, great catching up. Thanks for the time <laughs> and the insight as always, okay, and uh, hopefully we'll see you soon. Appreciate it, guys. Take care. Rick Goslin of uh, SI's Talk of Fame Network. When we come back, we're going to be joined by a guy who has authored a book you really need to read. Jim Wexel has done a number of Steeler books. No offense to the other Steeler books. This one is superb. This one stands alone as uh, the work you need to dive into headfirst if you want to really appreciate the Hall of Famer. Troy Palomalo. Jim will be with us when we come back. Till then, for Bob Labriola, I'm Mike Pursuta. We're coming at you from the Rivers Casino tonight until 9 o'clock right here on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE. Back to DVE Rocks live from training camp presented by FedEx and brought to you in part by Lecom, Bud Light, Excella Health, Ford, and Ireland Contracting on 102.5 DVE. Welcome back to DVE's Steelers Training Camp Special. Mike Pursuit and Bob Labriola with you tonight from the Rivers Casino until 9 o'clock tonight. It's our pleasure now to welcome to the broadcast location a guy who has authored multiple books on the Pittsburgh Steelers, but for my money, his latest, the story of Troy Palomalo, is by far his best. If you want to make a musical analogy, think who's next and then think Quadrophenia. We're not talking about the same thing. Jim Wexel... Welcome to the show, and uh, I got to open with, I was blown away by the Polamalo book. It took me about two and a half days to read. I, I couldn't put it down. <laughs> Mike, you're coming after my heart, man. Thank you. Quadrophenia, huh? <laughs> uh, 430 pages in two and a half days is a pretty good compliment, too, my friend. Well, it's, uh, it, it's a great read, and uh, the thing I wanted to start with was the method that you used to tell Troy Polamalu's story. You kept it simple. You, you stole uh, a, a technique from uh, a rock writer that we both know. But you didn't, you know, some people might want to go all Shakespeare or Hemingway on the Troy story because you believe in it so much and you have so much respect for the guy. You want to make every sentence perfect and, and make it lyrical. And you just say, I'm going to let the people who know this guy tell the story. And your exhaustive research and, and your ability one of the things that's always separated you in the Steelers' locker room is you'll go talk to the practice squad schlub at, as well as the quarterback. And you talk for this Polamalu work to, you know, Dick LeBeau and Ryan Clark and Chris Oak. And you talk to some guys I never heard of, a lot of guys I never heard of, and they all had something to say. A guy like Sean Nua, who I went to the practice squad schlub in 2005 and got to know him. Well, you know, his father is the uh, the chief of the Polamalu clan's hometown in some remote island off Samoa. 
where where Troy descended from a king and Sean knew all the the back history. So going to the practice squad schlubs pays off sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that that to me really um, uh, talking about the book and what Mike just pointed out, the way you presented the story to me was um, unique. I mean, I'm not familiar with the rock writer that you guys are referring to. Uh, so the way you presented the book to me was unique. Uh, but to me, it also made it very easy to read uh, and, and understand and appreciate. I mean, I, I will c- compare it just a little bit. Um, the way I felt when reading it uh, was the way I felt when I read Myron Cope's Double Yoy, in the sense that you felt that you were in a room with Myron and he was telling stories. And they're easy to read, easy to understand, easy to appreciate really draws you in and allows you to, you know, embrace the subject. And I would uh, say that that was very similar to the method that you used by having, you know, Troy's former teammates, some family members, um, just guys from his college life uh, talking about him in a way that, you know, I always believe that really good writing showed you things instead of told you things. And you showed us a lot of uh, different aspects of Troy's life um, on the field, off the field, you know, what made him special, um, some of the things he had to overcome uh, as a young uh, boy and then a young man. And, uh, you know, again, as I said, it was, it was very enjoyable. It was easy to read, easy to understand, which to me is also you know, important. It doesn't have to be a, a you know, a complex textbook kind of uh, situation. And um, I didn't need two days. I mean, I'm not disparaging your <laughs> reading speed, Mike, uh, but I'm just saying that uh, to me it was, it was very easy to get through. Couldn't put it and, down, huh? Well, and let me say this, too. I mean, I've been doing this job for over 30 years. I learned some things reading his book, and I can't say that about a lot of Steelers books that I read. Well, you've never said that about my other Steelers books, <laughs> so I really appreciate that, Bob. I also really appreciate what you said about showing you what happened instead of trying to sum it up and explain it. There, there were several, several moments where I, I wanted to re, re-emphasize something about Troy and put it in my own words, but the themes kept coming up, and I'm like, I thought to myself, I'm, I'm showing this. I'm showing his, um, for instance, the uh, spirituality side where, uh, you know, he would uh, meditate and pray and watch so much film and use all that athletic ability and all came together on the field where he would let God direct his footsteps and he would go to the right place most of the time. And uh, his, his cousin Brandon in the beginning of the book talked about Walter Payton was an influence and uh, one of the MMA guys, uh, uh, Grayson, Rickson Gracie. Well, uh, later Craig Wolfley was talking about watching Troy for years on the sideline, and you know, you know how uh, spiritual Wolf is, and how he appreciated his meditation and his prayer, and how it opened his mind uh, and just kept everything clear. And all the tape study just kind of—it's not like Troy thought about the tape, but it all just led him to the ball automatically. And and Wolfley brought up—it reminds me of this MMA guy. Uh, Grayson Rickson, uh, whatever his name is. I got it right in the book. But, uh, 
you know, the themes would, two people that don't even know each other started talking about the same things. And those themes would, would go through the book. And I thought, let's just show it instead of trying to sum all this up and capture it myself. Because sometimes I don't, I don't even understand Troy. You know, but it, uh, I appreciate you saying that because that was one of the things I liked about writing it. You know, you present it in, in just that fashion, and yet you managed to work in some Simpsons and some Seinfeld <laughs> references. That those of us who know you well caught those. A lot of people probably won't, but that, you mentioned we all know Troy, and he's hard to understand. I A couple years ago, he was in the very late stages of his Steelers career, and I used to do some writing for Pittsburgh Magazine, and they wanted me to do a cover story on Troy. And Troy would not pose for the photo because he didn't think he should be on the cover of a magazine. You've taken this, you know, X times higher doing a book, but kind of limited cooperation from the actual guy, right? Right, except, you know, a, a, lot, of, a lot of his friends, and Brian Clark, Ike Taylor, those guys, uh, names you'll know, but also his family would say, well, I'm not sure it, uh, I, I should do this interview. Let me talk to Troy and get back to you. Yeah. And they would call me back. Yeah, Troy said, yeah, you're a good dude. Yeah. Well, I'm a good dude. Why doesn't he call me back? Yeah, I mean, you, you, know? didn't, you didn't sit down with Troy and say, all right, we need to do 16 hours on your life story. We would have had to, and that's what he was trying to avoid. Yeah. He didn't. He didn't and, you know. And yet you pull it off brilliantly. Yeah, I mean, but I tell you, you know Troy, and you know if he'd have sat down for 16 hours, just, just take the, the play against Michael Vick, for instance, that Ryan Clark described so beautifully as the two most magnificent athletes in the world were head-to-head -head in the middle of the field, and, and one was going to win and one was going to lose, and the game was on the line. And Ryan Clark went into it, described how great these athletes were and what Troy did. Troy would have just said, it was God's will that I made the tackle. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, where am I then? But I had, you know, Ryan Clark didn't call me back right away. I had to work to get that interview. I wouldn't have worked so hard to get some of these guys if Troy had sat down for 16 hours and said, God willing, uh, for 15 of those hours. And, and the style of it, let everybody know who you borrowed that from and why. Oh, Alan Paul. You know, Alan Paul wrote the Allman Brothers book, and Bob and I were just talking about Dickie Betts, great Dickie Betts. And he wrote an Allman Brothers book in that style. And uh, I wrote to him. I said, man, I really like your Allman Brothers book. He, he's online. You get everybody, you know. And he wrote back. He goes, well, I appreciate your Steelers coverage. I said, how do you know? He said, I'm a Steelers fan. I've been reading your stuff. And so we exchanged, uh, you know, uh, some stuff, and then he wrote the Stevie Ray Vaughan book. It's called An Oral History. You know, he did the Allman Brothers book that way, and the Allman Brothers book wasn't as good as the Stevie Ray Vaughan book. I think he, he mastered the oral history technique, but also the star of the Stevie Ray Vaughan book died at the end. The star of the Allman Brothers book died in the beginning, so there was a natural buildup in the Stevie Ray Vaughan book, and I read that, and I said, this is what I this is how I want to do this Troy book because he hadn't been called he hadn't called me back, so I thought this was the best way to handle this. Uh, so yeah, and let me again, I didn't read either of the Rock books, um, and I'm not disparaging them by saying that. I'm just explaining. But knowing Troy, um, I think that the book is better because he didn't give you those hours of interviews. That's a great point. Uh, because um, you know what. It's it's not always, um, the, you know, the, the, the star, the protagonist of the story, whatever, however you want to describe him, isn't necessarily the best voice to tell the story. And that was one of the things that struck me about your book on Troy because 
I st- I, I've been a part of a lot of Troy Polamalu interviews, a lot of them. And some of them I didn't understand. Some of them I thought that, you know, he was kind of off topic. Um, you know, he was a very interesting and intelligent guy, but, you know, just not really all that necessarily compelling uh, in terms of, you know, the what he said being dynamic. Uh, you know, to me, one of the most dynamic dynamic interviews Troy ever gave was in the wake of the James Harrison Pansy, uh, League. Pansy League. Oh, yeah. The Pansy League. I mean, I, I, I couldn't believe it came out of his mouth. I mean, it was just one of those things that, <laughs> no, really. I know. I mean, so so raw and, and, and truthful and, you know, just really speaking from his heart without any kind of filters or thoughts about how that might be perceived or whatever. And I just don't think that he would have done that, especially about himself, that kind of candor and honesty and depth. And so, um, really, I think one of the luckiest things that happened to you in that project that you did was that he was not necessarily a willing and eager participant. Well, thank you. Uh, And, you know, the blowback he got from the Pansy comment shut him down that whole year with us. Uh, and I, you know, his humor is funny. And, and one one incident where my, I, I remember Mike doing this, and Mike was asking him about some insight into the play, and he had a great game. And Troy wouldn't go there. You know, it's God willing, I'll be able to play again next week. And uh, Mike goes, you know, this number forty three out there, you really should watch him. He's quite something. And <laughs> Troy just shakes his head and goes, I feel everything he. He did. I, he was sore. And so, uh, you know, Mike Mike reappears through that book. It's very good. Bob, you made an appearance in there, too. You predicted the Tomlin years pretty much. In uh, in uh, 2006, uh, when Bill Cowher had an 8-8 eight and eight season, and you talked about how they regrouped three years. Exactly. You'd almost nailed the one-loss record for the next two, three years. And so I had to put it in. That very, would have been good. some good information here at the Rivers Casino. For the back <laughs> in the day. Uh, Jim, we got to wrap it up and tell everybody where you get this uh, wonderful work. Uh, you can get it at jimwexel.com. Uh, you can get it autographed, and I can personalize it to whomever you are giving the gift to. Uh, it's at Amazon. It's at steelersshop.steelers.com. And it's at uh, various independent books in the Pittsburgh area. Uh, so. Great stuff. Appreciate the time. Thanks and, so uh, much, boys. I'm already looking forward to the Ben Roethlisberger story. We'll, uh, <laughs> um, get on and that. I don't think he's going to cooperate a whole lot more than Troy did. Well, how about Jack Lambert? You think he'll cooperate? No. No chance. No chance. See, None. he told me if he does it, it'll be me. But yeah. That's a big if. Yeah. <laughs> As I've told you over the years, good luck with all of that. <laughs> We've got one more hour to go here from the Rivers Casino, so keep it here with Bob Labriola. I'm Mike Pursuta. You're listening to the first of our three Steelers Training camp specials right here on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE.